This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And hello again. Welcome to worship with West Concord Baptist Church. So glad that you're here with us today. Hope you and your family are doing well. We're going to continue in the book of Malachi today as we continue to look at the topic, Back from Captivity. Uh, Again, we're seeking to climb out of this pandemic captivity that we've been in. I realize that many states, including ours, has uh, paused or had some setbacks as far as reopening. But nonetheless, we are moving out. We are digging out from under. And hopefully sooner than later, we will be back into whatever normal used to be. So we are digging out of captivity. And the thing is that we've been trying to emphasize through this whole series is that we don't want to miss God's message within the misery that we've been experiencing. I believe God has brought us to this place. He's taking us through it. And when He delivers us, He's going to expect a certain amount of transformation. Uh, None of this is by accident. None of this is happenstance. And so here we are in turmoil, but God willing, we'll get through it and hopefully we'll be better, stronger, leaner, and more spiritual for Him. You know, just like the children of Israel, they went through their 70 years of captivity with the Babylonians because of their sin. God delivered them, they turned back to Him, but as they they got out of the captivity and everything was great, they began to get complacent. They began to get lax and lazy. We don't want that to happen. So that's why we're using Malachi uh, as our text for these series of sermons, because we want to make sure that we are going to be better than we were before. And so we've talked about how Malachi is composed of oracles. An oracle, again, was a burden given to a prophet to share with the people, a burden from the heart of God. As God loved his people, They were not behaving in the way he thought they should, and it burdened his heart. So he shared these six burdens or oracles through Malachi. We've already looked at four of them. Today we're going to look at number five. And today we're going to deal with the oracle, obedience to God. Obedience to God. Now as we look, as we get into this, as we look at obedience to God, as we talk about obedience to God, got to understand one thing. We must understand that it's more than what we do for Him. You know, often we think of obedience is doing something, what we do for somebody. But obedience to God is more than that. It's actually what we are for Him. It's not just our actions, it's our attitudes, it's our whole demeanor. It's our lives, who we are for Him. And I want you to keep that in mind as we're looking at this message today. It's not just what we do, but it's who we are that is true obedience to God. And we understand this from the book of Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans chapter 12, you're familiar with this verse. It says in verse 1, I beseech you or beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that we present ourselves, uh, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I mean, it's reasonable, a spiritual type of service. But God expects not just what we do in obedience, but He wants our entire personage 
as far as obedience is concerned. So as we kind of keep these things in mind, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into the text. So pray with me. Father, we are grateful to be gathered together again around your word. Father, I pray for those who are watching and listening, Lord, that you would just push away the things of the world. And Father, may they focus, may they concentrate, Lord, on what you would have for us today. I pray that you would open your word generously, that you would speak to our spirits clearly, and that, Father, you would transform us through this word. Bless us, Lord, as we, as we seek your face today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the oracle we are talking about is about obedience to God. And obedience to God, again, not just what we do, but literally who we are. He wants us to present ourselves a living sacrifice. He wants us to lay our lives on the altar for His glory. And that's kind of the charge that we see today as we jump into the, the text. Go to, go to Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 7 where we left off last week. Now last week we talked about cynicism in the face of hope. Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all this problem, all this trouble? Just like the children of Israel were asking that question. And God proceeded to tell them that through Jesus Christ, there is still hope. You know, they look forward to Him. We look backward to Him, but there is still hope. And He said, listen, if there weren't hope, you'd be consumed already. I, I've, I've taken you out a long time ago. But He said, there's still hope. But in that, He still had some issues with them. So in chapter 3, we see the charge of this disobedience. And he says in verse 7, Yet, even though, yes, I love you, and yes, I'm offering hope, yet from the days of your fathers, verse 7, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And listen, if you read the Old Testament or you know anything about the history of ancient Israel, you know that even though they were blessed, chosen, loved, they all the time constantly were turning their backs upon God and ignoring his ordinances, much to their detriment. And the reason, one of the reasons rather, why God put that in the Old Testament, so that hopefully we would see their example and learn better from it. But he says, in your days, from the days of your fathers, you've, you've turned your back on my ordinances and have not kept them. So that is the charge. The charge and the severity of the charge is very deep because it is an offense to God. God has blessed them. God has loved them. God has provided for them. God has protected them. God has sheltered them. And all through that, they would constantly ignore his ordinances, break his laws, and turn their face against him. So it was an offense. It was a severe charge that God was laying. But notice again, as I said many times, even in a book that is as harsh and is as strident as Malachi, God constantly, and we'll see this a lot in this passage today, God constantly is reaching out His hand of grace, that, that saying, look, I still love you, come back to me. And that's what He says. We see the offer, but we are rather the offense. Now we're going to see the offer. In verse uh, 7 toward the end, He says, return to me. Return to me. Stop there. If it were me, I don't know if I'd want somebody back in my life that constantly ignored me and put me down and spit in my face. I, I don't know if I'd be that gracious, but thank God, God is that gracious. And he says, return to me. This is his offer. And I will return to you. As we said earlier, he had begun to move his hand of blessing off of Israel because they began to move away from him. And understand this about God. God isn't going to come where he's not invited. God is not going to force himself on people. He may try to influence them to a certain extent, but God is going to not force Himself on people. 
You know, one of the things that's going to echo through the chambers of hell one day in the ears of the eternal lost is that they're going to hear their own voices saying, leave me alone, God, leave me alone, because God in His love will do just that. He will leave them alone. We don't want that. So he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? You know, again, here they are. What have we done, Lord? I mean, you're being mean, you're being harsh, you're pulling away. What have we done wrong? It's never us. It's never anything that we've done wrong, and certainly it was. And so, say, so they say, well, Lord, how in the world should we return to you? Well, let's, let's look at it. Well, the charge was, was very severe. Uh, it, was a, it was an offensive thing to God. He gives them an offer to come back, return to me, and I will return to you. Well, how do we return? Well, let's look at the second aspect of this charge. Let's look at the specifics. God needs to be a little specific, and it's interesting the turn that it takes here. You know, God is going to deal with something very specific. Now, the passage we're getting ready to look at is often used by evangelists and pastors to beat on churches when it comes time for stewardship and giving. You know, this passage is oftentimes very much maligned and interpreted incorrectly to beat on people. Why aren't you giving more? Why aren't you doing more? But God is going to focus on giving. Because the Bible says where your heart is, there is your treasure. And see, again, remember we said obedience is not just what we do, but it's who we are. And where our heart is, there our treasure is also. And giving oftentimes is an indicator of someone's commitment and surrender to Almighty God. So how do we return to you, God? Well, let's look at the, the, the specifics of this charge. He says in verse 8, and God... You know, that was the people's question, the, the people's number one question, how do we return? And God's response is, notice, will a man rob God? God answers with a question. Will a man rob God? Well, how does that answer their question? Well, God is nailing it down. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. God is talking about their tithes and offerings. You remember back in chapters 1 and 2, when we looked at Le the Levitical priesthood specifically, they were bringing second-rate, second-hand offerings to lay at the altar. They were bringing sick animals, blind animals, lame animals. They were half-hearted, halfway. They really weren't offering any kind of sacrifices. They really weren't giving anything. They were just casting off the things that they didn't want anymore. They were giving God the, the, the cast-offs from their life. And God nails it down. He says, you know, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? And so here are the people's second question. So the first question is, will a man rob God? And here's the people's response or the question. In what way have we robbed you? Okay, we're doing the stuff, Lord. We're taking the offerings. We're taking these things. Well, we've already seen that they are imperfect and not pleasing to God. In what way have we robbed you? And God answers them in his second response. He says, in tithes and offerings. They weren't bringing their tithes and offerings to Almighty God. Now, you might ask yourself this question. How does one rob God? Doesn't God own everything? Doesn't God, does God need something that we've taken from Him? Well, the key is, yes, God does own everything. As a matter of fact, it is by God's grace, in the Old Testament anyway, that he only requires from them a tithe or a tenth. That he allows them to keep 90% of the, 
of their income to do with whatever they choose to do. I remember my son one day, he received $50 as a birthday present in a check, and he was about eight or nine years old. And I was trying to teach him about tithing. So we went to the bank and I said, Andy, you know, you got $50, you want to give $5 to the Lord. Well, Andy was bummed about that. He wasn't about to do it. And I thought, Lord, help me, help me teach this boy. And so when we got to the bank, we went up to the counter and I asked the lady, I said, ma'am, give him this 50 in $1 bills. So she kind of looked at me, but she gave me 50 $1 bills. I took Andy there on the floor of the bank out of the way, and I laid those $51 bills on the floor. I said, here's how giving to the Lord works, Andy. You get $5, count out five $1 bills. He counted them, I said, set that aside for the Lord. He put it aside. I said, 45 more bills belong to you, buddy. And he was thrilled to death. He was tickled pink. And he understood then that, you know, we get all bent out of shape and upset. Oh, God requires a tithe. You know, listen, God requires us to give all of ourselves to him. Remember, obedience is not what we do. It's who we are. And yes, God owns it all. And it's by his grace. He lets people keep 90% back in Malachi's day. He, you know, and, and while we're not under the Jewish law of the tithe specifically in the church today, a tithe is a good guideline as to giving. It's a good guideline. It, it was good for the Jews, God's people, and we could use that as a guideline today. That doesn't mean we can't give more than that. But nonetheless, what a wonderful God who doesn't require that much. If you look at religions of the world and the gods that they've created, you will see that there's a tremendous more requirements from them. But he says, you have robbed me. So we're not, it's not like we're robbing from God or taking something away from him. It all belongs to him. And he would be right if he claimed it all. And this is the attitude we need to foster. Again, obedience, not what we do, but who we are. And so God said, basically, you've, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. So here it is. Lord, the first people's first question, how, how do we return to you? What do we do? God says, will a man rob God? God is focusing on what they're giving because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The people's second question, well, how have we robbed you? How in the world does that work? He said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now, the conclusion of this charge, what is it as we look at it? Well, notice it says in verse uh, 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And so God is going to curse them. God is going to teach them. And it's already begun. As we've seen earlier in this book, they're already suffering some issues concerning their material support and material blessings. God has begun to move their hand from them. And so giving was something that was very important to God. And, and it's not that God needs anything. God owns everything. What God is trying to do in this is teach us faith and dependence upon Him. Because if we're depending upon our material assets, if we're depending upon our paycheck, our savings account, our checking account, if we're depending on anything other than God, then we're becoming, quite frankly, disobedient to God. Because over and over, God tells us to trust Him, to place our confidence in Him, to make sure that He is the focus of our faith. And when we trust anything other than God to bring peace, prosperity, and stability to our lives, we are quite frankly being disobedient to God. And it's interesting that he zeroes in on the material or giving aspect. 
And so understand this. Yes, when we hold out, we are robbing God because it belongs to Him. All that we have is a gift from Him. Not only the tithe, but also the 90% or more or less or whatever, however you want to do the math. It's all His. One day we're going to drop, we're going to drop this mortal body, we're going to be put in the ground, we're going to be cremated, however it goes, and we're going to be leaving it all behind. It was never ours to begin with. Remember back in the book of Genesis, God put humanity in this world to manage His property. He gave Adam and Eve dominion over the world. He gave them management capabilities, management authority, but He ultimately is the owner. And uh, our obedience is judged by many things, but one of the main things is, where is our treasure? And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's the specifics of the charge. They were robbing God. And so God then gives them a challenge. And again, we're going to see the grace of God. This is amazing. This is why God is so wonderful and so, so magnanimous. He says in verse 10, as we look at this challenge, I want you to notice he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may, be, there may be food in my house, that as they begin to offer sacrifices in the temple again. And here's the third line of this, of verse 10. I love this. And try me now in this. Try me. God's saying, test me. You give those tithes and offerings and you give the best of what you have and see if I don't bless you in return. Now, let me stop you just for a second. Because often this passage has been misapplied as well. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about a health and wealth formula. Understand this. Just because God has said this doesn't mean He is going to make you rich or He's going to take away problems. or He's, going to, he's not talking about that. He's just saying you're going to be blessed. And blessing comes not just in material goods, but also in health, in friendships, in relationships, in family situations. And God's going to bless. God's going to bless. It doesn't mean by giving the tithe, you're going to get rich. I know TV evangelists say that all the time. And you know, quite frankly, I hear people say, oh, Brother Mike, you need to watch Reverend so-and-so on TV. You need to listen to Brother so-and-so. Let me tell you something. You can go ahead and listen to those guys, but I tell you, you got a church and you got a pastor. And uh, you need to focus on that because just because some guy has Rev or Doctor in front of his name doesn't mean he necessarily has the truth. And so we need to make sure that we're honoring God where we are in our lives because there's a lot of health and wealth prosperity gospel teachers out there, and it's a lie. It is a big fat lie. But he says, Brings all, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that, my, that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. Test me. I went to college with a guy. I went to Bible college with a guy named Bobby. And I remember when Bobby got to Bible college, he, uh, he was told that he needed to have a lot of money. And he had saved up a bunch of money in his, in his senior year in high school. And he, he, he thought, I'll just go to school. I won't have to work and I'll have plenty. But he heard this message and he got convicted in his heart. So what he did was he took all the money from high school that he earned and he gave it away to God's ministry. And he went ahead and got him a job as a security guard at the college. And he bought himself a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. And he said, I'm going to try God and see how this works. Well, it's interesting throughout the first uh, semester, suddenly he began to get more hours as a security guard. A little bit more money came in. He won a scholarship 
that helped pay the rest of his year off, so he saved money that way. Not only that, but he met some girls on, on the, the floor below him, and they loved to cook for him. So he had more than peanut butter sandwiches to eat. Not only that, but the church he was involved in, all these little ladies felt sorry for them, so they were bringing him casseroles and dishes, and uh, he ended up almost doing better than he had would, than would have before. So he tested God. He, he, he stepped out. And this is the thing about God and faith. You won't know the power and presence of God in your life. You won't until you step out on that precarious branch to see if he won't hold you up. Unless you step out there and say, all right, God, you want me to do this? I'll do it. God, you want me to do that? I'll do it. God, you want me to give 10%, 20%? You want me to give to the Lord? I'll do it, Lord. I'll give to you. And I'll see if you live up to this. And he will. Again, that doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy. That doesn't mean all your bills and problems are going to go away. But it does mean that God is going to look after you. God is going to care for you. And so he says this, try me. Give it a try. Try me. I can't believe how sometimes we won't try God. We evidently don't trust him. We don't trust him enough to try him. We don't trust him enough to trust him with our finances, with our families. Oh, we say we love God. You know, you're going to love somebody, but that doesn't mean you trust him. And so God is saying here, try me. Not only try me, says the Lord of hosts. He says, try me. He says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Again, sometimes blessing is not necessarily in measurable material goods as much as it is in faithful contentment with a God. In other words, trusting God that he's going to give you enough. You know, I, I, I'm a pastor of a church. Our church takes very good care of me and my family. But I'm not out driving fancy new cars. I'm not living in a three-story house. I'm not going to work on a jet or a helicopter every day. But you know what? I have enough. I have enough. And the question is, is enough enough? And if you're contented with enough, then guess what? You are blessed. So God says, try me. He says, not only that, but trust me. Trust me. Look at verse 11. He says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now, that was quite literal in Malachi's day. The devourer were uh, locusts who were coming in and decimating their crops. They were literally devouring their, their livelihood. Uh, and, and in our day, we don't necessarily have locusts buzzing around North Carolina, but we do have devourers. We have bills. We have medical bills, car payments, mortgage payments. We have things that we bought. And it seems like the more we turn around, things are trying to devour our bank account. So in a, in a sort of an analogous sense, we have a devourer too. But God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. And see, this is the thing. If you're trusting God with your finances enough to give to him and you're contented with enough, then chances are you're not going to go out and buy things you can't afford and put yourself out there to have your income devoured. He says, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. You know, again, in my own testimony, Susan and I and the kids, we've been tight sometimes. We've been tight where it looked like months and money. We're not going to make it to the end of the race together. But you know what? Whenever that seemed to happen, God always seemed to provide in some way. God always seemed to provide somehow. I remember when we were first married, we had a cat. Cats have been a problem in my life since I've been married. And we had a cat that we had to take to the vet, and this cat cost a bunch of money to get fixed. 
And uh, don't ask me if I thought that was worth it or not. But nonetheless, this is a good story. And we had to pay a rather large fee. And come to the end of the month, we were short just close to that much money. And I didn't know what we were going to do. But then the next day, after I was really praying and, and, and seeking the Lord, we got a refund check from our insurance company that I had overpaid. And it was just almost to the amount minus about 20 cents. And again, I can't tell you that that happened all the time. I can't tell you that that's going to happen to you. But I can tell you this. That was just one example of how God has always provided for my family and I. As we have been faithful to Him, God has been faithful to us. And the only times we've really suffered is when we haven't been faithful to Him. So the whole thing about it is trusting God. That is part of the obedience. Trusting God, falling upon Him, leaning upon Him. And so he says, try me. Here's the challenge. Try me. Try me and see if I won't bless you. Try me and see if I won't take care of you. God will do that. Not only that, but he says, trust me. I will take care of the devourer. I will make sure you're looked after. It may not, like I said, it may not be the best of everything, the most of everything, but God will give you enough as long as you're settled with what enough is. And that has to come in line with God. He tells us to be content with what, whatever we have. Paul said, I have learned in Philippians to be content in whatsoever state I am. And when we trust him, there's a blessed return and a blessed reputation. Look at verse 12 as we finish up. And all nations will call you blessed. They will, you know, it's a testimony when we trust God. It's a testimony when we give to him. And God blesses us even in times of adversity and difficulty. People say, how are you able to get by? How can you give 10% to God or however much it is? And how do you do that? You don't make a lot of money. God takes care of us. What a wonderful testimony. Like I told you before earlier of my friend Bobby. What a wonderful testimony that is of God's power to take care of him. What a wonderful testimony. God takes care of us and my family and I. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful return and a wonderful reputation. He says in verse 12, for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. See, this is the key, is our obedience, one of the ways it's measured is by our obedience to give back to the Lord. And I want to emphasize give back to Him. Because everything you have comes from God. James tells us that. Every good gift comes from God, the Father of lights. Every gift that we have, everything that we enjoy, you have a nice car, you have a nice house, you got a good family, you've got plenty to eat and plenty to wear. God has given you that and blessed you with it. The question is, will you and I be obedient to Him to bless His ministry and others out of that abundance? And to be content with what's left. To, you know, There's a book written, and I've recommended it before, and I should have put it on the book recommendation when I put out the study questions, but the book is uh, written called Two Babylons. And... Uh, I'm sorry, The Richest Man in Babylon. That's it, The Richest Man in Babylon. And it was written from the idea of obeying the truths of God's Word. And this, one of the things this guy who wrote this book says, we need to learn to live on 80% of our income because we need to give God 10% and set aside 10% in savings. And if we could learn to live on 80%, we'd be blessed. You know, that's an interesting formula. That's an interesting thing. It's, it's a suggestion. It's not a mandate. But, but nonetheless, God will look after us when we look after Him and follow His, His uh, commands. So that's the challenge. Try me and trust me. There'll be a blessed return and we'll receive a blessed reputation. 
You know, as we wind this up, I'm reminded of the story in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus is accosted by the, 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 uh, the, the, the religious leaders, and they bring a coin to him, and they have their coins, and they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, let me see one of those coins. And he looks at the coin, and he says, whose image is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. And he said this to them about their taxes. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. And there's a tremendous amount of depth there, because that's not just an admonition to pay our taxes. It's an admonition to be obedient with our lives. Give to the world what belongs to the world, but you bear the image of God. I bear the image of God. So give to Caesar that which bears Caesar's image, but give to God that which bears God's image. So you might have coins in your pocket that have uh, a president on them, and you're hard to part with them, but God's not just interested in those little coins. He wants you. He wants me. So let me wind it up here with this thought. You and I are the image of God. You and I bear His image. And so if we're going to render, and that word render in the Greek literally means give toward service. You and I are to give ourselves toward service because we bear the image of God. So obedience is not just what we do, but it's who we are that is important. So you are the image of God. Render yourself to Him in obedience. So as you're thinking of giving and as you're thinking of how you manage your finances and some people are going to watch this video and say, oh, it's another preacher talking about giving. Listen, this is more, about more than about money. This is about time. This is about energies, talents. This is about giving ourselves completely to God. Because quite frankly, God can take it away just like that. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. And when we enter heaven, we'll leave all of this behind. So we need to get a right head about our obedience to God. And one of the indicators of our obedience, the main indicator, is how we spend our time, talents, and our treasures. You're the image of God. I'm the image of God. Therefore, we should render ourselves to God in obedience. In obedience. But again, it's, it's not just about giving. But of course, God is the greatest giver. You remember He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. He is the ultimate giver. He gave His all. Jesus gave His life. He just didn't give His service. He just didn't give His teaching. He gave His broken body and shed blood on the cross. He died there. He was buried. But three days later, He rose again from the dead, inviting all to come to know Him as their Savior. Do you know Jesus as your Savior today? Have you come to the place where you realized, yes, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I can't do anything to please God because of my sin. Religion won't save me. Reformation won't save me. What do I do? Well, you come to God, confess your sin, and cast your full faith and confidence in Jesus as your Savior. Trust that Jesus died for you, took the blame for your sins on the cross, was buried and rose again from the dead, and God will save you and give you everlasting life then you again will belong to God. Quite literally, you belong to God anyway because He created you. But then you'll be bought by Him through His blood and you'll be His precious possession. So we need to be obedient once we're saved. We need to walk with Him, live for Him, and honor Him. And it's more than just what we do, it's who we are. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.